Welcome to another episode of Civicus Voices with me, Artie Narsi. Significant strides have been made across the globe in recognizing and upholding the rights of sexual minorities. In the past year, several countries, including Chile and Switzerland, finally recognized same-sex marriages, while three Caribbean states scrapped colonial laws that criminalized same-sex relations. We continue the season about protests by looking at actions and mobilizations around the promotion and protection of LGBTQI plus rights. Because despite these successes, there have been major setbacks. This is especially true in parts of Africa, where a new wave of homophobic populism is threatening the lives and livelihoods of queer people across the region. On today's show, we'll be talking to activists at the forefront of the fight against Uganda's repressive new anti-homosexuality laws and highlight the challenges that queer refugees and asylum seekers face when they are forced to flee their homes. Let's get started. Nowhere is the widespread societal and institutional discrimination, oppression, persecution and prosecution of sexual minorities more clear than in Uganda. In May 2023, the East African country's parliament passed sweeping anti-gay legislation that broadened existing laws against homosexuality. The act, which is considered one of the harshest in the world, means that under certain circumstances, sexual minorities could face the death penalty. It also includes provisions that impact activists who are campaigning for equal rights. To tell us more about this, we are joined by Frank Mugisha, the Executive Director of Sexual Minorities Uganda, or as they are known, SMUG. Frank is an openly gay activist in a country where those are few and far between. For the past decade, he has been a prominent voice on the front lines in the fight for the promotion and protection of the rights of sexual minorities in the region. Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Historically, Uganda's judiciary and its laws have been hostile towards sexual minorities. How does this new act differ from previous legislation criminalizing same-sex relations? So, the legislation criminalizes LGBTQ persons for simply speaking out advocating, providing housing, premises for any kind of work that is around the rights of LGBTQ persons. Whereas the old draconian law that was left behind by the British only punishes the sexual act. So the difference is that this almost erases the entire livelihood of an LGBTQ person. How have these legislative changes impacted on the responses and mobilization efforts of civil society in the country? These legislations have continued to undermine civil liberties and undermine civic space. Uganda's anti-gay law, first of all, would punish partners and allies and friends to 20 years in prison for promoting homosexuality, for simply saying that it is okay to be LGBTQ, or providing support, or speaking out, providing platforms, media platforms, to LGBTQ persons, or, you know, advocacy around human rights, so our partners would be criminalized but also providing space for conferences, workshops, and meetings, 
who lead someone being punished. So many of our allies have withdrawn from supporting the LGBTQ community and supporting our work. We are seeing the shrinking space for LGBTQ CSOs, but also for the partners that support human rights of LGBTQ persons. We are seeing our national regulator closing down NGOs that support or promote the human rights of LGBTQ persons, including my own organization, Sexual Minorities Uganda. It was shut down by the government last year, and there has been a list that was released that would target other civil society groups. It is threatening, and we do all this at a very high risk. As you've just pointed out, harassment and violence against the LGBTQI plus community, often perpetrated by state officials, is a reality. How do you and your colleagues navigate these risks and threats that you are faced with to ensure your own safety? But what we've done is try and remain consistent and very resilient that we shall not be silenced either by legislation or by intimidation. Speaking out, it is our role, our constitution guarantees us the freedom to express ourselves and speak out for any human rights violations towards any group that is marginalized or any group, a minority group. So that is our right. And we've continued to do it that way. But also, we are using courts of law to petition against this draconian legislation signed into law by the president. And I'm optimistic that we will be successful. But also by doing advocacy, both regional, national, and international, and calling on partners and allies, especially within the African region, to speak out and tell Ugandans that LGBTQ persons are Africans. They have been in Africa for a very long time. So using our own African traditional context in advocating for the LGBTQ human rights. Now, what is being done by SMUG and its partners in the interim to support and protect sexual minorities in Uganda? What we're doing at the moment is, first of all, raise and amplify the human rights violations happening on the ground so that partners are aware. And we believe that once we create this awareness, the government will take it into caution to make sure that law enforcement is not violating the human rights of LGBTQ persons. But also we're providing the much-needed safety and protection by identifying allies and partners that can provide legal support, relief, in terms of food, alternate safe housing for our community members who can no longer stay in the areas where they were staying, mental health support for the community that is traumatized by the continuous persecution and prosecution, and also identifying host countries around the world that can take in LGBTQ persons who are fleeing for their safety. Now, we have seen protests taking place outside Ugandan embassies across the world. What would you say the role is of this protest mobilization and what do you think international support and solidarity can do for advancing LGBTQI plus rights in Uganda? Um, This solidarity is very nice and we also appreciate the support of our colleagues and allies and friends who go out and demonstrate and show solidarity with us. So the international community can continue doing that but also the international community can engage many of our partners and those that have the political power and will to engage our own authorities. And this can be in a diplomatic way, bilateral way, but engage and show the dangers of having such legislation 
because we are worried that this legislation in Uganda is a ripple effect. So that is why Uganda has been an urgent case to show the international community that if nothing is done, it is spilling over in other African countries. How can individuals show solidarity and support for the LGBTQI movement in Uganda? Individuals can support in many ways. One, by reaching out directly to us on the ground and ask how they can help us because it is very difficult sometimes to propose blanket support. But also we need financial support, technical support. We are right now like in court trying to petition this legislation. So it would be very good if there's any individuals who understand international law very well to reach out and provide us with that support. The solidarity, tweeting and following us on social media, and that is really the kind of solidarity we need. Not only looking at Uganda, but also looking at other countries where we're seeing that these legislations are most likely going to be coming up. Talk to us about how this driving human rights regressions even beyond Ugandan borders. This particular legislation or similar legislation is spilling over. We're seeing in Kenya, a member of parliament trying to bring up a similar legislation. We're seeing in Zambia, Malawi, and other countries in Africa where legislators are beginning to have conversations that they should bring up similar legislation. Including Ghana is in the process of passing an anti-gay legislation. So this is affecting the entire continent. But also the backlash is not only in Africa, because we're seeing around the world trans rights being undermined. We're seeing violence against LGBTQ persons, bullying increasingly in schools. So I think it is the conservative movement seems to be winning. So it's about time there is a global response to this. Frank. Thank you so much for joining us on Savika's Voices. Thank you so much. We're now joined by Ugandan human rights lawyer Rose Wachikona, who specializes in sexual and reproductive rights. She's part of the legal team challenging the act. Rose, in your opinion, what is the significance of this legal battle for the broader LGBTQI plus rights movement, both within your country and across Africa and globally? Africa has become a front for the cultural wars that are being fought in the US and Europe and they are being exported into the continent. So we have a lot of white evangelicals who are pushing for this propaganda that is anti-gender and anti-human rights. We have seen them push it within the UN human rights system where they have now adopted resolutions that are against human rights. But then again, when you come down to the African continent, we see that there is a wave that is ongoing. We see it within the family protection bill that is being adopted in Kenya right now, which is almost a replica of the Anti-Homosexuality Act that was passed in Uganda. But we also see it in Ghana where they have tabled a similar bill and also in Malawi where this rhetoric is just cutting across. But when you look behind it all, they are the same actors who are pushing for some of these narratives to be adopted as if they are homegrown African values and they are things that we should uphold as Africans, but the people who are funding are not. They are white evangelicals, largely from the U.S., but also 
partly from Europe. So again, this is almost like a form of colonization within itself. So as human rights defenders, we need to stand our ground and be able not to cede any space to some of these anti-rights actors. Otherwise, if we cede one small space, then they are coming for the whole thing. And any gains that we have made with the Maputo Protocol, with the African Charter, with the East African Community Charter recognizing human rights, then will be taken away and then will be left with no protections at all. So it becomes very significant because this is space that has been ceded and we have to claim it back. How has the broader human rights community supported your efforts to challenge the Act? And what more do you think can be done to help lawyers and activists and contribute to the protection of LGBTQI rights persons in your country? When the bill was being debated in Parliament and the hysteria was ongoing within the country, most of the support that came was external. Those are the things which re-energized us and made us think, oh, maybe we are not so alone because within our country itself, you just feel so isolated because everyone is just involving themselves within the anti-LGBTIQ rhetoric. So the human rights community internationally and also regionally just rallied around us. But specifically when African countries and their presidents started talking back and saying no, we are here, we are Africans, we are not for this, and we are asking our fellow Africans to say not to it. It became very critical for us to reclaim the narrative that this is actually, we are talking about Africans whose lives are being endangered by this particular bill. We also saw different UN agencies coming and rallying with us. Although some of the interventions were a little bit problematic, like for example, taking away of the visas and the withdrawing of funding in terms of paper, given that most of our government in Uganda is almost 70% reliant on donor funding for health budgets, it, it just backfired because people are like, oh, so now you're holding us hostage, this is blackmail, and it just reinforces that rhetoric that this is a Western-driven agenda. But most of the support that came in, the petitions, became very important, not just for energizing the people who are on ground, but to show that we are not alone and we are standing as one solidified voice. So that was very critical and is something that I think should actually continue. Finally, what advice would you give to other human rights lawyers and activists who are fighting against discriminatory laws and policies in their own countries? I think uh, what has worked well for us, especially in Uganda, is the collaborative efforts we have put forward. There is no one singular person who is the face of the fight. As I speak right now, the space is more nuanced, so they cannot point to just one individual to say, oh, this is the person who is leading the fight. But there are so many people who are just adding a brick or a block onto the fight. So those collaborative efforts and the synergies that go into everyone doing or playing their part become very critical and key. So again, relying on your networks, relying on your friends, strengthening those collaborations becomes very important and key. Rose, thank you so much for joining us on Savikas Voices. Thank you so much for having me. It's important to link what Rose and Frank described to the global anti-rights backlash. In European countries like Hungary and Poland, 
And in the USA, we are seeing that LGBTQI plus rights are increasingly being threatened by far-right religious groups who are actively working to undermine these rights. These groups are well-connected and they are well-funded, and their hate is being imported to Africa as well. We also have to talk about this backlash in relation to colonial legacies still very much present and entrenched in Africa today. Uganda's law has a far-reaching impact and is fueling anti-rights sentiments elsewhere. This is particularly dangerous when same-sex relationships are already criminalized or banned in more than 30 other countries on the continent. In this regard, South Africa stands in stark contrast to the rest of the continent, at least on paper. It is one of just 12 countries in the world and the only one in Africa to explicitly protect LGBTQI plus people in its constitution. It is also the only country on the continent to formally extend protection and offer asylum to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer and intersex individuals. For more of an on-the-ground perspective, we'll hear from Henry Wakam, a gay activist and asylum seeker currently living in South Africa. Henry is from Cameroon, a country where queerness is heavily stigmatized by society and where the state has been known to prosecute consensual same-sex relationships much more aggressively than most other countries in the world. I am Henry from Cameroon. I identify as a gay person. I had my struggle with it accepting who I am and I'm part of the LGBTQI plus refugees and asylum seekers community in South Africa. Back then I worked uh, for Alternative Cameroon which is an NGO fighting against HIV stigmatization and um, against homophobia but after that the word went around to my family that Henry has been seen with not appropriate people and I got asked about the work that I was doing and I came out. Yeah, that's where everything went astray, everything went bad. So after being told that I was cursed and being cast out, I saw myself as a pariah. I lost my job. The trauma of having that rejection from my family, the trauma of being afraid of the law, because back then we already were conscious about the Cameroonian law that penalizes everyone who's guilty of same-sex relationship, and it comes with heavy fights. And I took a decision to just pack my bags and leave. I was hoping a country such as South Africa would have given me a safe haven. I was hopeful that there will be a place for me on this earth and I will feel included where the system will, instead of casting me aside, accept me for who I am. South Africa has always been a, a beacon of hope for the LGBTQI plus in Africa. Supposedly catering for queer community, LGBT communities. I took the decision to come here due to that. And South Africa, it's still the best destination for any black LGBT community in Africa. That was a new whole world. I was like Alice in the Wonderland. I was I was happy. I was frightened. I was I was yes, I made it. However, after ten years in South Africa, it's where I asked myself, was it the right call to have left home? And uh, the hopes that I had back then sorry to say but I have I am hopeless now. After 10 years in South Africa, in the struggle that I've been through, South Africa this far has not catered for the person that I am. I'm still struggling to get access to my documentation, get access to basic 
needs of basic services. I can't aspire to work. I am bound to live a life withdrawn. It got me to realize that, uh oh, Henry, you know what? Something needs to be done. So that's where I started the network of refugees and asylum seekers, LGBTQI. And um, somehow I, I don't feel alone anymore. Uh, within the network, we have to create a sense of direction, to promote a sense of self esteem, to boost belonging. I started uh, the network with 17 people, but now we're almost 31. And um, in the network, uh, we, we have uh, Cameroonians like me, almost four Nigerians, Zimbabweans, three from Uganda, uh, the one from Zambia has left, he's been resettled to Canada, some from Malawi. And uh, within the network, we also have some that are not probably a part of the refugees or the asylum seekers community, but they are displaced or migrants. So um, I've never participated at Pride. My first Pride here was probably last year at St. Children's Pride. That was my first Pride. Where I'm coming from, Pride has always been looked at as a wow. So people can actually come together and uh, march and celebrate and be who they are. Pride represents all the beautiful things that the gay person could think of. To embrace, to echo, to show the world that we are here. And uh, that's what Pride represents for many members of the network. It is a place not only to uh, celebrate, it is also the place where we commemorate the fallen, the loss of all those that have been killed, that have had their life shattered in countries such as Uganda. So that is what Pride is for me as a gay person who has been living uh, in fear back home. We are planning to work with other entities so that our participation to Pride will be impactful, educative, and will showcase and exhibit not only the crisis of LGBTQI plus refugees in South Africa, but also show them that when it comes to a queer person, an LGBTQI person is not necessarily about only a South Africans as citizens. And we are most definitely working on um, seeing through our activism and advocacy, our community is being well taken care of. Because if we do not do that, nobody else will do it. That was Henry Wakam, a gay activist from Cameroon who runs a network for LGBTQI plus asylum seekers and refugees in South Africa. And Henry's story really highlights the difficulties that people face when they flee home, given that they face multiple oppressions. Being queer, but also being an asylum seeker, brings an additional level of discrimination. They often face struggle for documentation and access to basic rights. But it's also beautiful to hear Henry's joy of being part of Pride, which is an important part of expression and celebration of queer rights. We've heard from activists in Africa who are fighting through legal means against restrictive laws which target sexual minorities. But also queer activists are using the right to protest and expression to advocate for their rights. In Istanbul, Turkey, the authorities have banned Pride marches for nine consecutive years, but activists have continued to host Pride in defiance. LGBTQI plus activists in Poland created posters depicting the Virgin Mary with a rainbow halo, but they are being criminalized for doing so. 
For more info, have a look at the recently released Challenging Barriers report by Civicus, which investigates civic space limitations and repressions on LGBTQI rights in Africa. Remember, you can find Civicus online and on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe, listen and rate this podcast on your favorite listening app. Thank you to today's guests and to you for joining us on this episode. Civicus Voices is produced by Alna Schitz, Jermaine Kricher and the Civicus team. My name is Artie Narsi and until next time, goodbye.